0: Church families, we continue to worship. I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, Revelation chapter 2, specifically verses 8 through 11, as we continue in our series entitled Dear Church, the church is a revelation. Before we study the Word of God together as the people of God, we reiterate that we as a body of believers here at Dawson, we grieve with the family and the friends of Walter Rainey and Sarah Yeager and Jane Pounds, three precious lives that were lost in the tragic events that unfolded Thursday evening at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church. We as a congregation pray the words of Psalm 34 that God be near even this moment as we worship, that he would be near to the brokenhearted. That his tender mercies would sustain and they would comfort all that had been affected by this horrific act of evil. We as a congregation, we stand with these families. We stand with uh, the brothers and sisters of faith at St. Stephen's Episcopal Church. And we pray, we pray for a church that is reeling from these days' events. Word of God is a word that speaks to us even in the midst of tragedy. It's a word that speaks to us even in the midst of difficulty. If you're new to Dawson, we are journeying through Revelation two and Revelation three as the risen ascended Jesus speaks to an exiled John on the island of Patmos. And he says, I have seven addresses that I want you to take this message to. Seven churches. Seven churches there in what was Asia Minor, what is now modern-day Turkey. Last week, we picked up with the first addressee, the church at Ephesus. Now we turn to the second, the church at Smyrna. And we hear the word of the Lord in Revelation 2, starting in verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Smyrna, much like the first church that is addressed, Ephesus is a harbor city. It was noted for its beauty in that first century world, but it was also noted for a temple that was directed for the worship of the emperor of the Roman Empire of the day, If you were to go back into time and to walk through the streets of Smyrna, you would have been drawn to this magnificent temple that was built in A.D. 26. Tiberius, the emperor of Rome, he deifies himself. He says, I am a god, and all of the inhabitants of the Roman Empire, they must bow down to me and they must worship me, and I am going to build a temple to offer incense for all the Roman citizens to worship me. Now, it is hard for us to get our minds around this. It is, it is strange and foreign in many ways. But we do live in a day where you, you know what it is for the Olympic Games to, to be competed for by, by various cities. And cities put in bids to be able to host the Olympic Games. Or, or even closer to home here in Birmingham, the World Games are, are coming to Birmingham in the coming weeks, starting in July the 7th. And, and Birmingham, along with, uh, with various cities uh, across the United States, they competed to be able to host and have the privilege to host the World Games. 2,000 years ago, to draw the attention of the empire and the emperor, to draw the patronage to your city, you would be like, like Smyrna saying, Here, We'll do it. And so there in Smyrna was the was the center of imperial worship, where incense was offered to, to worship the emperor. Now, uh, Tiberius was living decades before John is writing this letter, but imperial worship was still occurring. So you can imagine the conflict that Christians had at the center of the heart of worship for the emperor, where they would hear day in and day out, the Caesar is Lord, the Caesar is Lord. And they would say, Nope. There's only one Lord, and He is not a human king or emperor, but He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we will not bow down to any human ruler. And they paid, and they paid severely for their faithfulness. We don't know much about the church in Smyrna. I mean, you will look through the accounts in the Acts of the Apostles, for the founding of the church at Smyrna and and you will you will not find it that there is no historical account in the New Testament of the church of Smyrna other than what we're reading here in Revelation chapter 2 there's no epistle addressed to the to the Christians at Smyrna Historical church tradition tells us that Paul, in his third missionary journey on the way to Ephesus, sort of the incubational uh, planting of that church happened during that time. But even those details, we don't know for sure. But this we know for sure. As Jesus is addressing these Christians, he offers to them encouragement. You're going to find in these seven letters a, a certain pattern. Jesus says, What's good? And then we have another, nevertheless, but not here. You have not here a, a, uh, word of warning. You have not here a word of caution. You have nothing but but encouragement. You have Jesus wrapping his arms around a battered and beleaguered Christians that are that are struggling to to stay afloat in the midst of all of this pressure that is saying, "Be silent and stop worshiping God." And they paid for it. And Jesus says to them, like he's going to say to the church at Philadelphia. There's two churches. That he wraps his arms around and doesn't give condemnation in that moment, but only commendation in that moment. That's what he gives to this church at Smyrna. That's what he gives to the church at Philadelphia. But there are three things that we do know about this church, and that's their suffering through persecution. And the first type of persecution that we see in the address that Jesus gives is they're facing poverty. There's economic pressures that are mentioned in verse 9 because they're following Jesus we don't know exactly why they're facing poverty. John Stott, who is this wonderful Anglican rector, uh, teacher of the, of the Bible, in his commentary, he speculates that maybe it's these Christians, because of their faithfulness, that non-Christians will not, they will not work with them nor buy their goods from them, and they're suffering because of that. So it also says that, that, that maybe it's because these Christians will not, they will not stoop to dishonest and illegal practices. And because of that, because of their integrity, because of their honesty, they're facing, they're facing poverty because of it. We, we don't know exactly, but we do know that the, the truth of the matter is, is that following Christ is not a guarantee of endless wealth and endless success. It wasn't then and it isn't now. No, no matter what you might read, no matter what you might hear, that following Christ is not a guarantee of, of endless earthly promotions. That's just not the case. Honesty for the follower of Jesus is always the best policy. But if your only goal in life is the advancement of the bottom line, sometimes integrity and honesty, they, they, they clash at times. And this is happening 2,000 years ago. And the Christians at Smyrna, they they stand up, they raise their hand, and they say this. It is better for us to fall behind the world's standards than to bow down and compromise our Christian standards. And my question is, is that true for you? My my question to, to all of us that are gathered here As followers of Jesus in the workplace, are we pursuing honesty? Are we pursuing integrity? Are we pursuing faithful stewardship of the resources that God has given us? Come what may, 2,000 years ago, it led to economic stress and poverty for these Christians here. And they say, we would rather be acclaimed by Jesus than to have all the goods of the world and to lose our soul in the process. So they face poverty. They also face slander. Verse 9, I know the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. These are strong words. Words from the mouth of Jesus. Words that in the hands of Christians have been utilized in the wrong ways to advance anti-Semitic persecution of the Jewish people. From this passage taken out of context. And so we better know what Jesus is talking about. Lest we have the wrong idea of what's going on in this passage. One thing we know from that first century worship of the emperor. Is that everyone had to bow down except for one group. And you know what group that was? It was the Jewish people. The Jewish people, first century A.D., they were given an exemption. They didn't have to burn incense at the temple for the emperor. So what happens is, look at the passage again. There are those who say that they are Jews and are not. These are bandwagon people, maybe Christians and maybe non-Christian Gentiles, who are saying, hey, I'll take that. If I can get an exemption, sign me up. Jesus says they're a synagogue of Satan. These seems like really strong words. But, but understand, who is the author of deception? Who is the author of laws? It's Satan himself. So if you have a group of people who are not Jewish ethnically, they're not Jewish by conversion, Christians or non-Christians who are saying, hey, sign me up for that. What are they doing? They're following the path of the deceiver. They're following the lies of Satan. And so Jesus says that group who has this umbrella, these bandwagon people who are taking on the name of the Jewish people to avoid persecution from the emperor, they are they're going the wrong direction. But more than that, that group of people, although we don't know precisely who they are, we do know this, they're slandering the Christians. It might be that they've taken the spotlight and they're shining it upon the true Christians of the day. And they're outing those Christians to the authorities. And this might be one of the ways that they are being persecuted here. And so in this passage here, Jesus is, is calling upon them as liars, as a synagogue of Satan. And they, they are ultimately persecuting Christians through their slander. And if you've ever gone down that road, and many of you have, Where something you say is misstated or it's mischaracterized, it's misrepresented, it can be something that's very difficult to process. Emotionally, you hear this old schoolyard adage, cliche, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words, they can never hurt me. I don't know who came up with that, but I know this about her or him. They were lying when they said that. Some of the worst slings and slashes that can occur in your life are the words that sting, the words that stay with you. And, and this group, they, they knew poverty, but they also knew slander from people who, who, were, who were saying incorrect things about them. And that's a part of the persecution. But more than that, the third thing that we realize is they're imprisoned and they're going to be in prison. Verse 10, do not fear what you are about to suffer, Jesus says. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Notice that Jesus says, do not fear. Just the second time that we've got the enemy mentioned here. Jesus has a spiritual x-ray vision. The Christians in Smyrna, all they see is human opposition. Jesus sees the grand story of the spiritual realm that's going on here. And he knows behind this is the enemy himself, devil, the Satan, the accuser, and the spiritual realm behind the physical realm. Jesus is showing in this moment to these Christians. And so there's three things they're facing when Jesus wraps his arms around them and holds them tight, they face the persecution of poverty, they face the persecution of slander and even imprisonment, and ultimately what's going to be for some of them is death. Even today, even today, there are millions of Christians that hear these words and they're facing imprisonment, death, slander, and even poverty for their faith. Don't don't think that this is just a historical document. There are Christians right now that are gathering in in house churches, under the secrecy, in in small groups, so that governmental authorities do not raid their homes, do not raid them and take them to prison, and even ultimately death. There is still persecution that occurs in, in, in horrible ways across our world. And so there are many people that hear this word and they hear it as a contemporary word. There's a missionary family that we as a church pray for and that we support. And I was, I was talking uh, to the, the husband who has come stateside, not by his own choice. And this husband was telling me, I'd heard of the story months ago, but I was sitting with him as he was telling me that uh, of, of how the governmental authorities raided his home. While he, his wife, and his children were there, they took him out of his home, interrogated him for hours upon hours. Immediately, the house that they had made and the family, uh, children that were comfortable, they immediately kicked them out of that country And now these Christians who have a heart for these people, they're going back. They can't go back to the same city. They can't go back, but they're going back. And you say, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody endure that? Because there's great lostness in this world. And praise God for women and men. Praise God for individuals and families who say, God has called me to to the hard places of this world. And even if it means imprisonment, The only way that these people will know of the saving relationship of Jesus Christ is that the Holy Spirit will call people, men and women, maybe here in these pews, to live among those who do not know the name of Jesus, to build relationships so that we can point them to the ultimate saving relationship of Jesus. And so our church, we pray for these men and women. We support them. And we pray that even from these pews today, it very well may be that God is calling and stirring your heart to live in a place where it is not easy nor even legal to be a Christian. Many of us in this room, if not the majority, will never have our home raided for the worship of Jesus Christ. Many of us, maybe the majority of us, will never be incarcerated for our faith. And it might feel as if this passage is remote and removed from you. But, but do not forget that trials come to every follower of Jesus. They come in varying degrees, different shapes, different sizes. But a part of being a follower of Jesus is to walk through trials. Sometimes there are trials of our own doing because of our sinful acts. Sometimes it's the sinful acts of others who seek to harm In this evil world where where there is an enemy, that can occur also. Sometimes it's sickness. We live in a fallen world. Sometimes it's the discouragement of family members saying, hey, how about you tone down your faith? You don't have to be that committed, right? Sometimes it can be alienation from, from family members, maybe even friends, as you walk with the Word of God guiding you, sometimes it can be downright opposition. Trials come, and they come in a variety of ways. Don't think that you have this immunity shield over you. If you are a follower of Jesus, and you're faithfully pursuing Him, there's a part of your life that you just need to understand that you're coming out of a trial, or you're in a trial, or you're headed to a trial. That's a part of our earthly existence that is not the Garden of Eden. So we need to feel the hug of our Savior calling to us in a trial, coming out of a trial, or on the way to a trial, be comforted, he says, by my presence with you in the midst of your trials. I love how he starts this in verse 9. I know your afflictions. Jesus, who is all-knowing and all-seeing, doesn't miss the hurt and the pain, the tears that any follower of him goes through. The suffering and the difficulty, it is on the radar and it is on the map of our sovereign Savior. And if you're walking through trials this morning and you feel like you're all alone and all forgotten, you feel as if your prayers can't make it above the ceiling, know that he says in this moment, I know your afflictions. And Psalm 34 is true for you that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. One of the most moving experiences I've ever had in my adult life is going to ground zero there. And seeing the very base of the Twin Towers has now turned into the 9-11 memorial and museum. It is, it is a sacred place to go to and to be able to see the destruction and the evil that occurred there, but also to see glimpses of the glory of God and glimpses of of God's presence even in the midst of the rubble and the difficulty. Many of you know this story, but three weeks after the attacks there on the Twin Towers, 9-11, and the rubble was 10 stories high, There was one lady by the name of Ann Bybee who was working at that time for the disaster medical assistance team. And as she's going through the wreckage, she spots in the midst of the wreckage two beans. That she saw immediately as a symbol of hope because it is the symbol of the cross right in the midst of, of death and destruction and great evil. It was as if Jesus was saying in the midst of these beams shaped as the cross that I am the first and I am the last who died and came to life again. And I hope you know this as a follower of Christ. That there is the cross at the center of every pile of rubble. There is the cross at the center of every pile of rubber or rubble that is a reminder to us that death has no power over the follower of Jesus because Jesus has defeated death. And he is saying to us, be comforted. Be comforted by my presence with you, even in the midst of trials. But also, he says, be comforted by my sovereignty in the midst of your trials. Verse 10 is a pill that sometimes is hard for us as Christians to swallow. That Jesus is saying, I'm allowing difficulty to occur, but don't fear. You're going to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. Jesus is giving them an itinerary. Not all of them are going to experience this, but some of them will experience this. They're going to be human agents They're going to be inspired by the enemy, the enemy that seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He was doing it then, and he does it now. He prowls like a lion. He did then, and he does now. If we're not careful, we can can, can overstate Satan's power and his presence. We oftentimes think of him as an equal and opposite of God himself. I just want to remind you there is only one who is all powerful, and that is God. There is only one who is everywhere, ever present, and that is God. There is only one who is all knowing, and that is God. Satan is not all knowing. He is not all powerful, and he's not everywhere at all times. He's a creature. Yes, he seeks to dissuade. Yes, he seeks to distract. Yes, he seeks to wreak havoc in this world. But even what he does is under the sovereign rule of a God who has defeated him and ultimately will vanquish him for the new heaven and the new earth that we as Christians are headed to. It's interesting what Jesus is saying here. You're going to go to prison. And it is going to be of the evil one's doing. But you're just going to be there 10 days. Now, that 10 days, you know this about Revelation. I'm just going to continue to remind you of this. Numbers have symbolic meaning. So do not think that Jesus is saying, get a calendar and just mark off day one and then mark off day two, and then when you get to day 10, know that I'm going to bust you out of prison the next day. 10 is a number of completeness and fullness. So what Jesus is saying to them is, you're not going to be in this prison any day longer than I see fit in my sovereign will for you to endure this. And even when you're there, I'm going to use this as a test. We don't like to hear this, but we know this as followers of Christ, that God doesn't waste our wounds. He doesn't waste our trials Even the difficulties that Satan means for evil, God uses them as a spiritual gymnasium to build spiritual muscles in your life and my life. Some of the the most shaping and stretching times of your life will not be the sunny days where everything is good, but it is when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death and you know that your shepherd is with you and he is rod and his staff. They comfort you. And even in the midst of difficulty, He is stretching you. and He is growing you. And He is with you. So Jesus says, as He hugs this church, be comforted by my presence. As He hugs you, be comforted by my sovereignty. And as we listen to Him, He says, be comforted finally by my eternal promise to the end of your trials. Verse 10, be faithful unto death. And I will give you the crown of life. Jesus is saying there is a set destination for the race of every Christian. And there is a reward that is ahead for every follower of him whose faith is proved by their steadfastness. We're not saved by our endurance. We're saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. But those who are saved, they run And they run the race of life, even when they don't want to, even when they stop. But God says, what I have started in you, I'm going to bring it to completion. And the completion is the reward, and that reward is the crown of life. What is the crown of life? It is heaven itself. It is where every tear is going to be vanquished. It is where sickness and sadness is no more. It's the opposite of what verse 11 is in this passage. In verse 11, he says, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The second death is hell itself. And so Jesus says, guess what? I've got you on a race, and I know where this race is headed to. Sometimes, especially in a world where there's so much evil that is pervasive, and when evil encroaches upon our own community, we're tempted in this moment to to say, what is this world coming to? And Christian, the answer to that question is, this world is coming to Jesus. Jesus. That his plans and purposes are not all set by the evil of this world. And this world as it is, that is sin-soaked and sin-stained, it is not our eternal home. We're headed to a place of the new heaven and the new earth. We're headed to a final reward of a home that he has prepared for us. And it's moments like this that we, we're just reminded that this is not our home. This last week, I was in Anaheim with Danielle, and we had the privilege to be messengers to the Southern Baptist Convention in Anaheim. Uh, There's much to say about that. I'll just say I was really encouraged. I was really encouraged uh, leaving that meeting. We were able to be with the International Mission Board at their dinner, commissioning service. It's just a wonderful reminder why churches cooperate together to get the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. I was encouraged by decisive steps. They're initial steps, but they're important steps in light of sexual abuse scandals. I was encouraged by the unity in that uh, 8,000 messengers in that room. So I was encouraged. There's much work to do, but there was work being done. Thursday, we fly out of Anaheim. We're redirected to Chicago, Chicago, we land, we've got a flight at 10 o'clock, getting back to Birmingham at 12 in the morning, 12.30 in the morning on Friday morning. Uh, 10 o'clock, gets delayed to 10.30, gets delayed to 10.45. We get on the plane, we run out to the runway, we wait, we wait, we wait, and then we hear what no person wants to hear. That's the captain coming on the intercom and saying to all of us, I'm sorry to inform you, But I have just timed out, and I cannot fly this plane. There was gnashing of teeth on that plane. There was groaning on that plane. Uh, We needed to be back because 150 students were leaving at 7 o'clock to go to New Orleans. One of those students was our own son who is there in New Orleans now with our Chapel Choir Mission Tour. We wanted to be back. We realized we were not going to be back. So we had the joy, Danielle and I did, to be accommodated in a four star hotel called Terminal C in Midway Airport in Chicago. I don't know how many of you have stayed in a hotel lately, it is not a place that is designed for your comfort. It is not a place that is designed for you to sleep in. It is not a place that anyone would be as as great as is. We've got air conditioning. We've got food that is around us. It's comfortable. But I tell you, no one's going to mistake that for home. Three in the morning, Danielle's trying to sleep. I can't sleep there. The lights are on. They're vacuuming everywhere. Danielle is, is on the chairs. You got all, You can't even pull up the armrest right there. None of this was thought out by people that have to spend the night. They don't want you to spend the night in the airport. I actually have a picture that I want to show you of Danielle sleeping there. I'm, I'm just kidding. I know it's Father's Day, but I tell you, I can't get away with that, even on Father's Day. I will tell you this though, the Together bulletin that you have in your hands, we had one with us and Danielle is sleeping and covering her face, the picture I have, is the Together Dawson Church bulletin that's blocking out the lights, just in case you wanted to know how all purpose that bulletin is. It will come in handy for you. We got on the plane. I'd been up for 28 hours, come into the house, lay down on the bed, and boy, it was sweet to be home. This world as it is is not your home. Do not be confused. But one day even the groanings of this earth will be redeemed and restored and every follower of Jesus will dwell in his eternity. And we will receive the reward, a reward that we were longing for while we were here on this earth. The reward of his presence in an eternity where sickness is no more. And every pain that you've had on this earth is transformed to praise. Disease is no more. Every disease is transformed into doxology. This is our home. This is where we're headed to. So while we're here on this earth, don't get too comfortable. This, my friend, is not your final destination. Let us pray.